0: As we continue on our series of uh, Way, Truth, and Life, A Journey of Grace, Uh, we have talked about seeking grace. Last week, we talked about saving grace. Uh, This week, we're gonna kind of begin kind of a three-part kind of journey through sanctifying grace, next week, sustaining grace, and then sufficient grace. And there's some ways that these kind of tie together and talk about what does it look like? How does grace act in our lives after grace? saving grace. How does that walk through our lives and how does uh, God's sustaining grace, we'll talk about next week, continue to stay with us as we are uh, following him. And so I want to, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be in Acts uh, chapter one. Um, One of the things I think that uh, is so exciting about uh, these next three weeks is it really helps us kind of understand who we are uh, as uh, people that are uh, Wesleyan, uh, whether we, uh, whether it's a Nazarene, a Methodist, uh, a Wesleyan, uh, but somebody that follows after uh, John Wesley's view um, on Scripture and his view of God, and part of the reason I, I bring that up is one of the things that I really believe in is that uh, sometimes people ask me, you know, why why would you, why are you a Nazarene? And there's a lot of answers that I can give. But one of the, what I really believe probably the best answer as a Nazarene pastor is, is that John Wesley's view of scripture and his understanding of who God is uh, doesn't limit who God is. Uh, That he is not someone who limits how God works. He is not someone who limits what God does. Uh, But when he looks at God, he sees a God who is continually seeking after his creation, continually loving his creation. And that's an exciting thing to me, of to know that there's a God who who isn't limited by my imagination or isn't limited by my understanding of our God, uh, that his love isn't limited. And so that's part of uh, what I hope we see as we go through these, and we'll talk a little bit more um, about those as we kind of work through them. So today we are uh, gonna be in Acts uh, chapter one, and you can uh, look there, uh, verse uh, six, they are, uh, we're going to kind of, we'll talk a little bit the history of kind of how we got, where we are. But verse six says, so when they, when they had come together, so when the disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This same Jesus who has I've uh, been taken up into heaven will, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned from Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they had been staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And they were all continually uh, united in prayer along with, with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we have this, uh, this story here that Jesus tells them, I've got a mission for y'all, this is what I want for y'all. Then Jesus ascends into heaven. They go back uh, into Jerusalem. They go back to what it was probably the upper room that we saw on uh, Monday, Thursday. So it's more than likely probably that same upper room Then uh, they they wait. And so chapter two is where we're gonna just kind of pick up the story. Chapter two, we'll read verses one through eight. Say, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rest on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Holy or as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't, aren't all of these who, who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language?" And so then they have this kind of conversation, jump down to verse 12. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But uh, some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them. We're gonna come back to that, all right. So, so just kind of get the, the, the kind of seed of what's happening. Jesus ascends into heaven. We've kind of gone through this whole thing. Jesus lived. He has his disciples, he was uh, crucified, he's resurrected, he appears to them multiple different times, he ascends back into heaven. They go to the upper room, they're there, they're praying, then Pentecost Sunday comes, there's there's smoke, there's wind, there's fire, no, there's wind, there's fire, there's all of these kind of crazy things happen and they come up with the question, what does this mean? What, What is going on? And what I kind of want y'all to be thinking about as we look at this story is, is they have seen God do some mighty things. God raised his son from the dead. His son was lifted up into heaven. Angels showed up and told them, what are you doing? Why are you still looking up in the heavens? And their question is, what what does all of this mean? Obviously, God is working. Obviously, God is doing something. But what does it mean? mean? What do we do? And and I think part of the answer that they're looking for is, is where are we going? What does this mean? But who's going to lead us? Who's going to be the person that's going to take charge? Who is the person that we're going to follow in whatever God is doing next? They need someone to follow and so they are looking, and then all of a sudden we get to verse 14. All of these things have happened. And look at verse 14. Peter. Peter. Stood up. Now, just kind of think with me. We've we've talked about Peter twice in this series. We talked about him on week one. We talked about him on week two. Where we are in the story? Just kind of forget. Both you <laughs> forget what I preached about week two. No. The, uh, we talked about the sheet, all that. Let's go back to week one, though. Week one, remember what happened? Peter's denied Jesus. We were at the very end of John. He's out fishing. Jesus makes uh, yells at him. He jumps in the water. They have the do you love me conversation. Everybody remember that? All right? A few of you? All right. So that, that's where we were on week one. But that's where we are in this story. Somewhere in this story between what happened in John 21 and then what happens in Acts chapter two, Peter stood up and started to preach the first gospel sermon ever. And so my question is, is how do we get a Peter from the man jumping out of the boat? How do we get to where we are in Acts chapter two? And what I want you all to see and kind of think through is, as we look at this, uh, if you've got your Bibles open, you can kind of, most of your Bibles, if you flip back a page, we're actually at the very end of John, the page just before Acts. and We get there, and so verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 3, Peter has, Peter has denied Jesus, he's done all of the, uh, he's, he's said these things, we're, go- we're back at the very beginning of that story, In verse 21, verse 3, just the very beginning of it, what are we going to do? And what does Peter say? I'm I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. So God has done all of this incredible stuff. Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. And the reply, after all of those things happened, what are we gonna do? And Peter says, Well, I'm going fishing. Going fishing. And guys, I think part of what I, what I want you to be thinking about today and kind of where I want you to, to be going is Peter is kind of dealing with an issue and the issue is, is what would, what would we do? What would you do if you believed that God couldn't use you? Peter has denied Jesus three times. He has seen Jesus since then. But when he's asked the question, what are we going to do now? Peter's response is, well, I'm gonna go fishing. So what would you do? Go fishing, yeah, that's what Coy would do, yeah. What would you do if you thought that God, uh, Coy's thinking, if God can use me, I still wanna go fishing. Uh, you know, what would you do if you really believed that God couldn't use you? Stay home. Stay home. I think most of us, whatever that answer would be, would be something along the idea of I would do whatever I could do on my own. I would do what I'm comfortable with. I would do what I could do where I knew that God didn't have to show up. Right? And so what Peter does is what any of us would do. I'm gonna go back to doing what I know I don't need God to be a part of. Or as I want to call it this morning, I would go back to my default position. What would I do if God couldn't use me anymore? I would do what I'm comfortable doing that I know that I don't need God to be a part of. That's my default position. I I I would do what I don't need God to show up for. And Peter does exactly that. Peter goes back to what he knows best. He knows how to fish. He knows how to earn a living and God doesn't need to show up for him to do that. And I think for most of us, that's where we live in a lot of ways. What what would I have to do or what, what would I do if I didn't need God to show up? And that's what we do. But the issue is, and what I think kind of the the deeper picture is, is that most of us kind of live in this tension between what I know I am capable of and what God wants for me. Yeah, over here, I I know this is what God wants for me, but, but, but the problem is I have to rely on God to do that. But over here is what I know I can do. So why would I go over there? I can just live right here where I'm comfortable and I don't have to do what God wants me to do. And that's where we live. That's what we do. And so it looks, uh, if you look, if you continue reading that verse, John 21, three. So in that verse, I'm going fishing, said Simon Peter. So what does everybody else do? Well, if Simon, if Peter's doing it, we're doing it. So they all, we're coming with you, they told him. And they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Nothing. Nothing. Here's a couple things that I, I believe about us. I believe, I believe that God has called every one of us to more than that default position. I, I believe that default position is an incredible trap that we fall into. What can I do where God doesn't have to show up? That's where I wanna live. I wanna live a life that I know that if God doesn't show up, everything's still okay. That's the safety, the default. And I believe that God has called every single one of us to more in that default position. I also believe that every single one of us is being formed, that we're all being formed somehow. In Romans, the passage that Sharon read for us earlier, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, Paul says, "'Therefore, brothers and sisters, "'in view of the mercies of God, "'I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, "'holy and pleasing to God. "'This is your true worship.'" And then look how Paul uses these two words. Do not be conformed. Okay, Conformed is something from the outside. It's outside pressure that is upon you. So Paul says, do not be conformed. Do not take that outside pressure, but do what? Do not be conformed to this age, but do what? be transformed. Conformed comes from the outside. Where does transform come from? From the inside. Do not be conformed to this age, outside pressure. But Paul says, instead of taking that outside pressure, we are to be transformed, which starts in the middle and works its way out. But to be transformed, and I would say every single one of us is being formed somehow. You're either being conformed or you're being transformed. And Paul says, be transformed. And then Paul, I love, because Paul does this, he does, wants to make sure we don't miss it. So Paul goes, if you read on down in the passage, verse nine, Paul says, "'Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, "'cling to what is good.'" So Paul says to us, do you wanna know what it looks like to be transformed? This is what it looks like. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. There's a lot of that that goes on. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. What does transformation look like? Transformation is moving out of that default position and moving into a position where God shows up, where God is the one working. So how do we do this? Well, I think it starts with three things we need to do. It starts first off that we have to deal with our past. The first piece of this is that we have to deal with our past. I know for a lot of us, there are things in the past that we carry that are, that are hurts, that are wounds, that are scabs, that we don't want to pick off anymore, but we have to come to terms with our past. We have to understand, as Peter did, Peter had to deal with what he had done with denying Jesus. He had to look Christ face to face. Three times that Christ asked him, do you love me? And it starts with us saying, we're going to come to terms with our past. We're going to deal with those past wounds. We're going to deal with those past hurts because back there in our past, there is baggage, there is residue, there are wounds, there are failures, but there are default settings. There are things that push us back into that default and there's sometimes that we just have to pray, Lord, I, I, I gave you those things, those wounds. Those wounds. And guys, this happens all the time. This week, I was in Walmart and saw someone who's hurt me very, very deeply. And all of it comes back, all of it. All of it comes back. And you just have to say, Lord, I have given that to you. It's not mine anymore. It's not mine. It still hurts. I still need to get out of Walmart without punching somebody, but it's yours. It's not mine it's not mine. And there's a time we need to come to terms with that past so that God can do a new work in our lives. The other thing that we have to do is we need to come to terms with the present. Now, this one actually might be a little bit harder sometimes because when we come to terms with our present, we have to kind of deal with some self-reflection. We have to ask some of the questions of shame. We have to deal with our guilt. We have to deal with arrogance. We have to deal with ego. We have to deal with our preferences, our ideologies. We have to realize that sometimes there are things that we bring, whether they are prejudices, whether they are fears, we have to bring those things before God and to say, these things aren't healthy. I need to turn them over to you. And we have to begin to ask the question that I hope all of us ask of, what is it in my life that's not of God? What, what in my life, what are some beliefs that I might have that they didn't come from God? What are some things I think about other people, they, those didn't come from God? And those aren't easy things to deal with. But those things keep us locked into that default position. They keep us there where we think God wants us and it's not where God wants us. So we have to deal with, what do we say? Our past, our present, what else do you think we have to deal with? One more. Our future. We have to deal with our future. We have to be able to say, okay God, here here it is. My story, my story is now no longer my story but my story is your story. Whatever this past stuff has happened, this, this, the present, the things that I deal with, all of that stuff, that, that's, that's my story or what I thought was my story, but my story is no longer defined by those things. Now, my story is your story. My story is shaped by who you are. My story is shaped by what you are doing in the world. My story is us saying, God, here is the pen, here is the script of my life. Lord, write for me what you want next. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, Lord, take me and put me there. And that's a scary prayer. That's not always a fun prayer. But Lord, where are you guiding me? Where are you leading? Write my story. And Jesus, becomes not only the redeemer of our story, but he also becomes Lord of whatever happens next. He's not just your redeemer, but he is the God of whatever the future holds. Now, let's just be really honest with this, guys. If we are in our default position, the future is scary We all lived in a world where we kept saying, well, if 2020 would end, it'll all get better. Okay, we are seven months, or eight months, we're eight months into 2021. Do you know what? It's, yeah, it's, it's worse, it's not better. And if my default position is believing that I can do it all myself, do you know where I would much rather live? With a God who says, I have your future. You don't know what the future holds, but I do. And I would much rather be at a place where God's the one defining my future, where God is the one that tells me where I'm going. That's a much, much better place to live. So with this, let's look at a, uh, let's look at a passage. John, let's go back to John 21. John 21, uh, let's, we'll read verse three again, down through seven. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know who it was. Friends, he called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? Jesus knew, you, you don't have any fish. No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, said to or the one whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, "It is the Lord." When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He tied his outer clothing around him for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. So the question, what did they catch all night? Nothing. Why? Why? Well, this story is written to remind us and to remind Peter of another story isn't it? So we go back to the beginning of the story and we drop kind of into that story into Luke chapter five. There they are fishing. There's this man who has shown up. They have no idea who this man is. Remember the story? So they show up. When they had finished, when he had finished speaking, when Jesus had finished, finished speaking, he said to Simon, which is who? Peter. He says to Peter, put out, into deep water, let us let down your, net, your nets for a catch. Master Simon replied, We've worked hard all night. And caught what? Nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down my nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Jump down to verse 10. So were James and John's Zebedee sons who were Simon's partners. Do not be afraid, Jesus told them. From now on, you will be catching people. So John chapter 21 They fish all night, what is that? The default position, right? They fish all night and what do they catch? Nothing. Why? The easy answer, because Jesus showed up. Both stories, Jesus shows up. But I think the deeper answer is it in the default position, they weren't relying on God to show up. In the default position, they weren't allowing God to do something. In the default position, they weren't doing what God had called them to do. You kinda want Jesus to yell from the corner, or to yell like, hey guys, guess what? You caught nothing, you wanna know why? Because I told you back in Luke chapter five that you're not fishing for fish anymore. I gave you a job and that job was to fish for people. So why in the world are you in a boat with a net out in the middle of the water? There's no people out there to catch. You're fishing for the wrong thing. I told you what you were going to spend your life doing and you didn't do it. You went back to your default safety position. You went back. and you caught nothing. So we go back into the story. Back into Acts chapter 2. Peter who has now stood up and began to preach is wrapping up his sermon. It says verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and, they, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Notice the question. It went from what does this mean to what do we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord your God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized and that day, That day, did he catch nothing? That day, about 3,000 people were added to them. The net was so full, they, they couldn't even draw it in. Why? Because Peter made a decision... That living in the default position, the default position that's easy, the default position where God doesn't have to show up, is nowhere to live. When you can live in the place where God says, Let's do it. I've called you to live another way. I've called you to do something more. I've called you to live a life like nobody else lives. I've called you to live a life that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You can't do it unless I show up. Do you trust me enough to show up? Or are you gonna just keep putting the net out night after night after night for nothing? Or are you going to have me show up in your life? Guys, this week, Um, I've had a lot of thoughts about a lot of different things. And I keep thinking about the default position because the default position's easy. It makes sense. It never makes us uneasy. It never makes me worry about stuff. But there's a whole lot of pulling up empty nets, it's not a lot of fun. And the question I keep coming back to is what would happen if God really actually showed up in our lives? What would look different about my life if I let God show up, if I gave up that past, if I gave up the present, if I gave up my future? This week I was uh, running one day and just got to thinking about a song And the song was one that I can remember the first time like the the lyrics clicked with me. It was when we were in seminary, Heather had flown out of town and I had to drive up to the Kansas City airport to pick her up, which is a good 45 minutes away from where we lived. And I was sitting in the parking lot listening to a new CD I just bought because we had CDs back then, listening to the CD. And the words just kind of overtook me. And I remember sitting in the parking lot that night and crying and praying Praying that this would be what ministry looked like. The words are a take on Numbers chapter six, on one of the, or really the first benediction. But the words of this song, and I won't read the whole thing, but the words are this So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God now make his face to shine upon you, full of majesty and peace and full of grace. May he turn his face to you and give you peace in his name. May he place his favor on you by the power of his name. And may you know the one who loves you face to face. So may the Lord Christ himself and God who loved us by his grace fill your heart with word and action. With eternal hope and strength, now may may the God of peace himself give you all the peace in every way. And at all times, may the Lord be with you and will walk with you in grace. And may you know the one who loves you face to face. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God now make his face to shine upon you full of majesty and peace and full of grace. My prayer for us, and as I kept coming back to those words this week, is that's, that's our hope. A hope that we begin to see our God face to face. I said last week at the close of my sermon, one of the things I believe is that when people actually see who God is, they can't help but love God. And I think one of the biggest problems we have is sometimes God people don't see God in us. They don't see God in the church. They don't see God in the way we live. And my fear is is the reason they don't see God is because I'm throwing my net in the water, doing what's comfortable. And my prayer is, is that I begin to live over here where I start to say, how is God going to show up, knowing that God is going to show up. The reason I believe this, the reason this is important, it's not just about me, but it's about people being able to see who God is, to know who God is, to see his face so that they can fall in love with a God that loves them the same way that I've fallen in love with that God. So this morning, as we close, my my prayer for us is in your life, what does it look like to step out to step out of that boat, to step out to know that I want to be where God is. Part of what I love about that story is, is Peter jumps at, When he realizes it's Jesus, he jumps out of the boat and says, I just want to be face to face with him. Just one more time. And how often do we want to just jump out of that boat and run to him and say, I just want to be face to face because I'm tired of the default. I'm tired of easy. I'm tired of what I think is the easy position. But to know over here, God is doing something incredible. God wants to use you. So this morning as we sing, I just want to invite John to come and just to have that opportunity for some of us that might just want to come and just say, I need to step out of the default position I need to step out from what is comfortable and to step into something that's a little scary. Because I'm tired. I'm I'm tired of catching nothing. I wanna be exactly where God wants me to be. So this morning as we sing together, my invitation to you is if you wanna come and just find a place to pray, Mm -hmm. to take that step out. To say, I'm tired of the default. Mm -hmm. I want to be where God wants me to be. Let us stand as we sing.